As we enter into season two, it is time to get our minds right. So going to introduce a new section here as we kick things off called Pounding the Psych. We always talk about how important mentality is when it comes to investing, the decision-making process. How does one go from euphoria in one week to doom and gloom in the next, right? So we were recently talking about bringing on a psychologist to talk us through some of this decision-making. And one of our pounders actually reached out to us, who's not only a psychologist, but actually an avid investor as well. So we are extremely fortunate today to be joined by Dr. Adam, who is a licensed psychologist that deals with mental health. And he's had years of experience, not only understanding the human brain, but also wanted to share some tricks and tips to think about to kind of keep your noggin on straight, of course, as we go through these ups and downs of trading and investing. So welcome to the table, Dr. Adam, aka the, the real life Wendy Rhodes, if you will. So <laughs> be, before we uh, before we kick things off, just maybe quickly introduce yourself, share what got you interested in investing and psychology and tell everyone here at Pound the Table, what's up? Yeah, thanks. That was that was great. And I'd be so lucky to be the real life Wendy Rhodes. And there actually is a real life her. It's based off of someone. But about me, name Adam, Dr. Adam. I'm a licensed psychologist. I'm based in Pennsylvania near Philadelphia. I got into psychology by I think most psychologists do to clichely help people. Oftentimes we were in therapy ourselves, no different than me. I hated my therapist and wanted to do better. Why I became in interested in the market and all of that is, I think, again, very similar to a lot of people. It seems like really easy money until you learn about all of the shit that happens behind the scenes that it, it's not so damn easy. And then just marrying the psychology and my knowledge of that and my experiences like firsthand of the market, whether it was in OTC or now more so options and then setting up like whatever accounts for long-term retirement and all that, you learn a lot really quickly. So I'm thrilled to be here, share whatever insight, have a good conversation and help everyone out. Talking in a pre-show here just about the parallels that you see between sales, even marketing, right? And psychology, understanding, you know, what their needs are and, and how you can help them along the way. I honestly was so, you know, encapsulated by it that I ended up changing my major at Duke from just standard economics to actually making my own major for behavioral finance. So that just combined uh, psychology and I got to choose like a specific domain. It was cognitive psychology. And then that combined with finance courses that were pretty applicable in the real world, like corporate finance or inside the hedge funds and things like that. But yeah, I mean, I felt that it was super important to combine the two disciplines just because I think that any way that you slice it, someone is involved in making decisions in the market, right? You can think that 75% of trades are algo driven, fine, but somebody programmed those algorithms based on their own biases, right? You can try to make math as objective as possible, right? But if someone's programming someone something to do something, there is a subjective bias, especially when it's based off of such myriad factors as the market is. Um, as well as like, if you and I are trading, obviously everything that happens to us in the real world affects us mentally in the game that we're playing when we're on the computer Absolutely. trading, right? So it's one of the most important things I think. Sentiment, honestly, is what I use most in the markets to de determine whether to buy, sell, hold, and honestly invest, period. Do you use sentiment for more so short-term or long-term or both? Yeah. So I, I think of it really similarly to the way that I think about the anchored VWAP. So like the anchored VWAP is like the math that I put on the technical charts that I post. And that is just an average of the price and the volume each day, like from any point that you anchor it at. And I try to think of those points that I decide to be 
uh, from the anchor as those like big different chapters in the stock's life. So some different news will happen, or if it's year to date, like all the buyers and sellers that started trading that name since January 1st or something like that. So in the way that I think of it in, in the short term, I definitely do. I think that if uh, like a couple of weeks ago and there was the highest amount of ARC puts that there's ever been, and there was like a one or two weeks of a net outflow. And I was like, all right, like this thing, A, not only broke my mathematical anchored VWAP, but also the sentiment was as off, it was like negative five fear. So yeah. like it was all the way there. So I was just thinking, obviously that's probably the bottom. And it was not really a thing based off of, of much else. Like, yes, I saw lumber come down and stuff, but I, I really thought that that was the psychology of, of everyone in, in the masses on Twitter were completely bearish thinking growth would go down, ARC would go down in the 60s. And at that point, I was like, you guys have completely overdone this. Um, and then I went long. So I guess short and long term. I had a question. Well, I probably should know the answer to this, but you just mentioned like that that fear index, right? How, how is that calculated? Is that just like... I honestly wish I knew. I, I, I don't know, but I think that I have a good sense of it from just being around Twitter so much and knowing like, like you can tell like the last couple of weeks, people are super euphoric, right? And like, the last couple of weeks before that, you know, when ARC was in the 90s and the 100 area, people were hating Kathy, thinking it's over. And now people are sticking up for her and they're like, go Tesla. And they're, and then mm-hmm. the good news is also coming at the same time, right? So it's cycling both like the real world and what you're thinking about it. So I don't know what came first, that it's the chicken or the egg kind well, of thing. What's, what's interesting about, yeah, you know, and I don't know how the greed and fear index is calculated on whatever basis, but just anecdotally, I agree. Like you could look at Twitter. I think a lot of people follow the same five, 10 big people on financial Twitter. Mm-hmm. Seeing their mindset shift is a solid indicator, right? And then just taking a contrarian point of view, one is always healthy to do. Uh, there have been societies that have a designated person to be essentially the contrarian, where if everyone agrees, that person's job is to say, no, here's the other point of view no one else is thinking about, even if they don't believe it, because then they can say, all right, fuck. Well, now we have to plan for that because it Mm -hmm. got brought up and it just Mm -hmm. prepares everyone even more. So there's a huge aspect of a healthy level of skepticism. So many people have like these massive groups that will just like pump and dump and just how much that momentum can be created by that FOMO. Right. And so that's something that will definitely get into more just real quickly. I did look it up. Uh, So the the greed index is based off seven indicators. So safe haven demand, stock price momentum, stock price strength, stock price breadth, put in call options, junk bond demand, and then market volatility. So I think it kind of aggregates all of those together and, and it gives you that index. But yeah, I, I think going back to that point with like Twitter, it is somewhat of this microcosm, you know, I guess, but it does become this echo chamber. So we always say like, don't just follow people blindly, you know, have, at least for me, I've really shifted my mindset into like, if I buy just a good company, I'm going to sit on it for a few years and and that's going to be it. I'll have a little, like Tony does, have a separate portfolio dedicated to some of those lottos because I am a fiend and I do got to get my fix here and there, of course. Exactly. And it's just, you know, that's part of the the game, right? It's fun. If you go into a trade knowing that you're going to lose, and I'll let you share your example of when you went to the casino, but talk to us a little bit more about that, Adam, especially these weekly options, as we call them. So Right. Everyone should be thinking of weekly expirations as lottos. Even if you're in the money where it may not expire worthless, 
It doesn't need to, though, for you to lose out big. It could still decrease wildly. So what I was talking about before the show was growing up when I started gambling at like casinos and all that stuff, my father tried to impart this lesson on me where, look, go with as much money as you're willing to lose. If it's a hundred bucks, 500, a thousand, it doesn't matter, but you have to be willing and expecting to lose all of it. And Mm -hmm. the more important part is when you lose all of it, not if, like when you lose all of it, you have a limited amount of time to be sad about it. And for me and going to the casino, that amount of time was the car ride. Whether it was a casino 30 minutes away or an hour away, you had that much time. So if you need, if you can only lose $500 and then be able to get over that in 30 minutes, if that's the equivalent, then that's what you should gamble with. If you could get over losing $1,000 in 30 minutes, good for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Go for it. And I think people need to have the same mentality when it comes to weekly options. And honestly, in some cases, like monthly, like if even right. if there are several weeks out, because inherently there are riskier companies mm-hmm. when you're trading on sentiment. If we're talking about Amazon, Apple, any of those, they're a bit more stable. You could have some unforeseen event that comes out. There can always be some scandal or something. Then there are like super risky ones. You know, you brought up with sports gambling too. You see these bookies, they'll give you credit. Why do they give you credit? Because they know you're going to spend a lot more than you initially would if you just said, hey, let me just throw $500 max a week. And very often you're going to go way over that $500, right? Whoever thought of, yeah, I think it's probably started with casinos. Whoever came up with with the chip, Yep. Chips. Fucking genius. It's, all, it's all chips because yep. you're no longer playing with money exactly. and that is a direct translation to the stock market where you have things like robin hood now and even like mm-hmm. more official <laughs> brokerages it, mm-hmm. you deposit your money it goes away you don't see money you see a dollar sign but it's no longer the tangible that is really hard to give away and that's why we see like why online sales skyrocket in part because you're not taking money out of your wallet to pay for it. You're not actually taking your credit card, all of that stuff. You don't see the price tags add up one by one. Mm -hmm. You add it all to your cart. You go to your cart at the end and it shows you the total amount. And you're just like, uh oh, um, I'm already here though. I got it. All right. That fine. And all of that is psychology. There's a branch of psychology that works with companies to figure out how to do this shit. Yeah. You know, you are risking a thousand dollars when you do a lotto for an exponential gain, right? Mm. You have the ability, the possibility to double that, triple that, whatever it might be when you spend a thousand dollars on a product, right? And whether it's dinner, a pair of shoes, a suit, whatever, That's it. There is no gain. There is Mm -hmm. no tangible gain other than that product, especially with dinner. You experience it and then it's gone. Mm -hmm. So so actually, one thing I want to touch on there is so for me, the only thing that I actually spend money on is food. And I like I pay really little for everything else. Like I'm a very 
pretty frugal guy in every other sense. Like all my money goes to different investments. Like I like Pokemon cards, but I've made a lot of money investing off Pokemon cards. So I, I don't think of it in that sense, right? Like it's, it's yeah. meant to be an investment, but otherwise it's food, right? And I was just raised like European household, like food is very important. And so that's actually something like my girlfriend and I were talking about this, like back in September, October, I would always order food. Like it's just something I do all the time. Like, and I think Avi's rubbed off on me a lot because of that. Yeah, but we were, she was saying like, <laughs> what if every time you ordered food, you just don't order food and you buy Ethereum instead. And this is like, Ethereum was like three, 400. And I was like, I, I love Ethereum. Like that's such a good idea, but I could not bring myself to do it. And like we were traveling for like two months in, in San Francisco. And like, by the time I racked it all up, I was like, I left a lot of money on the table. It was like a couple, like, okay, like more than I want to say of like Ethereum that would have been the actual like gain from it going 10, 12 X. Right. And so it's like so hard because I don't regret doing it at all. I loved the food, right? I enjoyed, and that's something I like, I live to eat good food. It's something I really care about. So I wanted to know like, what, what you can share on about that, because I have no idea why yeah. that goes on in my head. I could boil it down to probably one word, experience. And it's not the experience, like it's, you, you pay a certain amount of money, right? When you were traveling to San Francisco, all the money you spent there are for experiences. You're not going to get that experience in the market. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Right? So you, and yeah, we could be cheesy with it and say memories. You were with your girlfriend and if you didn't spend any money while you were out, you probably wouldn't have had as good of a time. You wouldn't have had the same memories. You wouldn't have had those experiences. Yeah. So let me ask you again, a hundred percent, but what about when I'm just like at home and I could easily go in the kitchen and make some food, but I would just like, let me order $40 a takeout so I can just sit at the computer and, and I do this like three to five times a week, just so I'm like working through stuff. Well, I think a, a piece of that is probably going to go to your mindset of how much is your time worth and no. what can you oh, well. make in that amount of time? Like, look, if I go and make a ham sandwich, it takes me a couple minutes, probably not going to make a shit ton of money um, doing that. Great. In that time. But if you're constantly watching the screen, if you're waiting for your entry, your exit, yeah, and you're not that's... and you're not automating it, right? If you're not setting orders to go off to trigger whatever, it's not worth the risk of missing that for you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I, I've it, heard like, that from a mentor before. Don't go up to pee. Yeah, smarter trader said that. He's like, just don't go up to pee during the day if you're trading options because by the time you get back, it could be like, I, it was yeah. just this example of the, the 9-11 example where he was trading and everything he had went to zero. And then he had puts on stuff, but the market didn't open for three days. So the puts didn't even work for him as well. So right. that's like, you know, you don't go up to pee. And I think about that all the time. It's like, that's I my, really uh, take Apple. my phone with me. <laughs> Remember I used to do right. the, I used to do this thing where I'd, I'd go like, back when I was working in our office, we'd have a kitchen and they'd have a bunch of snacks and whatnot. And I'd, I'd always joke and laugh. I'd be like, all right, let's see how much this apple is going to cost me. Right. So I get up to go grab the apple. And one time Every it was like $3,000, one option just like completely tanked and i was like yeah. that was a, a fucking great apple then <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> right but, but uh it's, it's yeah. that mentality and i think figuring out what your essentially what your rate is right i mean if right, you take yeah. how much money you want to make a day divided by how many ever hours you're working in that day 
down to the, you can do it down to the minute, down to the second. Like mm-hmm. I know how much I've, money I've done that. I, I think that's exactly. That's probably right. why I don't mind buying food. Yeah. Okay. Right. I know how much money I make a minute per session. And if I go do other things, my time is still used. Mm-hmm. That's my rate. So mm-hmm. it may, if you're making just for example, like a hundred dollars a minute because you kill this trade, it's not worth it to get up, make a sandwich. You rather just order your food, have it delivered and then do your thing. So, and I think the other piece of it is peace of mind. Mm-hmm. You're not worrying about missing that trade. That I think that's honestly what it is more. So I, I don't like think like, oh, I make X amount an hour on average, you know, and then I'm like, yeah. I don't want to be, it's like the opportunity cost, sure. But it's more like if I walk away and something bad happens, the, the pain I'm going to feel mentally because I know that I did not have to walk away. Mm-hmm. is going to be more than whatever I spent on the food. Right. And even if it just happens like twice in the year, it's worth it all the times I buy food. I was watching this podcast last night, uh, Adam 22, like Lena the Plug and Riley Reed, like they're all adult porn stars. And they're like, you guys might think it's all this like cool glitz and glam, but I'm telling you, it's a fucking job. We book things, right? We get our hair and makeup done. We book locations. We get testings. We do these things. And it's like, it yeah. rotates. Like we, we work our asses off. Even if you have an OnlyFans, it's a professional fucking direction. If you're mm-hmm. a big person, like you have people there with you filming directions, lighting and all that. And I'm like, wow, like everything is supposed to be treated like a job if you want to be successful at it. It's the only way to be successful at it. Mm-hmm. What I tell clients is the same shit I'll tell myself. I mean, I see probably, I don't know, I'll do like 30 sessions a week or something like that. Typically, uh, I have owned my practice for a couple of years. You think I haven't gone through shit? and have had to work with clients, right? Like I'm a human, I have a life, I experience loss, I get in fights with my girlfriend, I have breakups, I stress outside Mm -hmm. of work. So a lot of the same shit with trading, people have outside influences that are going to impact their work. And what I tell clients, what I tell myself, whether it's life or trading, whatever, is going to be one, Remind, like remembering why or where you're coming from, why you're doing something and trying to parse out emotions from it. Like trading at the end of the day, shouldn't be an emotional thing. Mm-hmm. It can't be. You mentioned it earlier where you said, you know, today you had a great day and you felt that euphoria and you're like, Oh, fuck it. I got to like get out. I literally turned around, man. I was talking and, and I, as soon as I said the words, I was like, Oh, this is a really, really good day. I literally said out loud, fuck. I turned right. around, yeah. hit my screen. It was like maybe 12, 12, 15. And then not, not, but 30 minutes later, infrastructure deal comes out. All my tech stocks go down. And I was like, thank God I sold those things. Obviously, I'm <laughs> so, a screenshot. I was like, behavior it. is <laughs> so much the same where we are influenced by what we're feeling in that moment when it makes no fucking sense to do that, right? How mm-hmm. I feel, whether it's good or bad, does not impact the market. It does not impact any mm-hmm. of the positions I'm in any of the stocks on my watch list. It is purely a selfish thing I'm experiencing. Well, yeah. And that's, that's one of the biases we that's can huge. actually just start going through them here and touching on them. Like that's yeah. like you know, overconfidence. And that's like an emotional bias, like these overconfident investors. And, and it happens to me from time to time too. They believe that they've got more control over their investments than they actually do. 
right? Yeah. And then you have this self-attribution bias and you think there that investors attribute successful outcomes of their trades to their own outcomes. And if it's not a good trade, right? It's not my fault. It's the market was really shitty. Something bad happened, but right. it's not true. Like your, your only goal as an investor trader, I guess as a trader slash investor is to keep your account at all time highs. Like that's the one goal I have in my mind all the time. It's like stay closest to all time highs because cool. the further away you get, the harder it is to get back. That tilt is harder, the worse it's down. We can go back to the casino, right? And mm -hmm. I always say, if I leave with the same amount of money I walked in with, that's a win. Right. I mean, yeah, that's a thing, right? Things are stacked against me at the casino if it's free entertainment at that point. So mm -hmm. even if I lose, you know, people will go to concerts, they'll spend money modding their car, buying drugs, w drinking, whatever, right? Fine. That's your fun. And that's another way to look at it. If this is like a hobby for you, mm -hmm. if it's entertainment, if it's not your living, mm -hmm. then figure out how much money you're willing to lose. Right. One of the things you said, Tony, about um, the biases and fallacies and all of that, a lot of what we were just talking about is similar to the gambler's fallacy, mm -hmm. seeing with emotions, right? So people will associate their emotion with their performance. Oh, I was like super happy and that's why I did so well today. Or like mm -hmm. I was in a shitty mood and that's why I did shit today. Well, you probably made better decisions when you're even keel, right? You're right. making bad decisions when you're euphoric. You're making bad decisions when you're, you know, dysphoric, mm -hmm. all of those things. And this, you find patterns when they don't exist. Mm -hmm. And then talk about the roulette, the roulette thing you were saying yeah, earlier. It was yeah, really yeah. interesting. So when people are gambling, they'll go to the roulette table, which is like the easiest example to use for this and go, Oh shit. It, it landed on black four times in a row, it yep. has to land on red the next time. Bullshit. It doesn't have to land on red the next time because every time they spin the wheel, it is resetting the like the probability. The statistics aren't there. You know, they put up the fancy screens now that shows you like, oh, it landed on this this many times and it hit this quadrant mm -hmm. this many times. And it's all just to fuck with you. Because at the end of the day, the odds for every single spin are going to be the odds for every single spin. Unless they remove some number off the table, mm -hmm. your odds stay the same when it comes to roulette. Um, and they're all independent trials. Every, every single one of those 100%. things is, is an independent trial. So, I mean, right. when you're looking at the market too, I think that's that's an interesting thing for people to consider is they think, and I do, I do, I used to do this all the time. I've actually fixed this in myself because it actually affected me too much was trying to get the same money I lost back with the same stock. And so that yes. is one of the revenge trading. And I, revenge trading. It is a hundred percent revenge trading. And so like, there's a few stocks that I lost a, quite a bit of money on in the last like year or so. And obviously like, it's, it's not about like which of those losers yeah. it is. It's just, a, it's about your net, right? You want to end up having a net. If you had 10 positions, two were shit, eight were great. You did fantastic. And so even though you have four times more winners than losers, you you those two sting infinitely more than the gains right and i think that's another thing that's like that's the fear of loss like loss aversion right. is like that will hurt and that's why puts are priced more than calls is because mm -hmm. that skew is because we all pay more to not get fucked than right. to do well well what you're talking about is interesting because essentially and if maybe i misunderstood and even if i did i think a lot of people experience 
for instance, like I did not do well with Apple uh, at a certain point mm-hmm. in time. Like I just couldn't win. Um, and I know a lot of my buddies, they say like, oh, put it on your do not touch list, right? Like you just, no matter what, you don't do it. And people have like a do not touch list, like where they, I won't trade mm-hmm. the stock again. I do, because in my head. They're, right, because they're, but they think there's a pattern to it, right? Because they're tying the emotional response they experienced from their losses, which are independent of each other, right? Each position you played is independent of the other. So, but okay, let me throw one thing onto you there, yeah. just because if it is all independent, it's the whole theory that obviously we can we're I don't think that humans are rational, right? We've talked about like the efficient market hypothesis. Yeah. It's just not, it, it is clearly not a thing. So right. knowing that we are not rational humans, we are predictably irrational. And I fully believe that Dan Ariely, it's like big reason why I went to Duke and studied behavioral finance. And I will say that knowing that we are that predictably irrational, those patterns like for Amazon, like for example, I actually went back for multiple years of my options trades and I categorized, we were talking about this earlier, categorized which ones I made the most money on and my highest hit rates. And so I don't know if it's because I that stock's easier to trade, right? It could be multiple factors, but it doesn't matter because the numbers end up not lying once you've done like, you know, over 30, N equals 32, right? If you've done yeah. 100 trades on it, you know how well you'll do in that stock generally. And so like Netflix, for example, it was like one of my work, I hate Netflix, but I traded it this week and I made money. And because I know that, you know, the setup was fantastic. My emotions is what was stopping me. And the risk reward was there. It was a perfect trade the way that I saw it. And after years of, you know, going through that, I realized to play it just because, you know, just because the last 2016 to 2020, I was negative on average playing Netflix. I played it this one time and it worked. So it's, it is obviously independent, but people have that PTSD. Like I really hate right. Netflix stock to trade, but I knew the money was there. So I forced myself to do it. Well, um, but that that's something that happens trade. all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. right. I think it leaks into revenge trade where like, if I like, look, if I traded Apple, right. Then I'd be like, I lost $4,000, 10,000, whatever it was. And go, I need to make that much money back right. on Apple. Right. Like, and I'm going to fuck myself over because I'm going to hold out for larger gains. I'm not okay. I don't want to do 10% over time and compound right. it. You want to make wanna, it back and some. Right. In like a trade, in two trades. And how mm-hmm. many ever trades I lost that amount of money, that's what I want to get it back at. Um, and yeah, want- it's just, you know, what if everyone just imagine if there were zero symbols when you traded? If you purely had to go off charts, and that's what I was thinking. Like you're talking about Netflix. I've heard people say, like, "Oh, fuck Roku. I'm not trading that." Like, whatever it is, I, I feel Tesla's that way about Roku. One. I feel that way about Roku. <laughs> so, like, what? What if for a day there were zero? You didn't know it was Roku, right? If all you had was the chart. You, there weren't. What if there weren't even like? The prices, it could have like, you would need markers like to know percentage-wise, all that stuff, but who who cares, right? right? You, you, you wouldn't have only, that that stop in your You wouldn't have the association. The blind that, taste that test. Yeah, right. exactly. So, and I think the closest thing people do to that, because you can't get rid of the symbol uh, on it, the closest thing people do is invert the chart to try to remove a bias, right? Like, That's kind of oh, cool, I, yeah. Right, so people will, and I think um, TradingView 
uh, has a setting where you it will invert the chart for you um, because it removes the bias of, oh, it's in an uptrend. It's, it's going to keep going up. It forces you to look at it in a different perspective. And there are so many times uh, I could draw, people say like, you could draw lines to make it look like whatever. And they're not necessarily wrong. Change the uh, the time that you're looking at, tra- change whatever. I've seen people make, uh, you know, cup and handles that are, mm-hmm. could also be a V bottom. I've looked right. at people try to make an ascending triangle look like uh, symmetrical. All of this shit it's so variable based on who's doing it. So so 100%. much of it comes to mentality of how you want to look at it. And you know, one of the things we talked about was confirmation bias. You're going to see what you want to see in that chart. If you're holding puts, guess what? You're going to see a bearish formation. If I'm holding calls on the same stock at the same time, guess mm-hmm. what I'm going to see? I'm going to see... It's going to tell me it's fucking going up uh, and yep. we will argue about it all day. And at the end of the day, someone's going to win. Someone's going to lose. Yeah. And we'll be able to say, ha, fucking told you so. The, yep. The confirmation bias, that that is so powerful. And, and, and you yep. see it with people that are, you know, maybe considered some Republican. They're like, Fox is my channel. You know, CNN, Democrats are my channel. They watch what they want to watch. Right. And so there is a lot of parallels here to trading. And even, you know, with with, it's funny because like even going back to like sports betting or whatnot, sometimes I'll place the bet and then I'll Google, you know, if I pick the Yankees to win, why the Yankees are going to win. You know, like I'm Googling exactly what I want to fucking read. (laughs) And and it's so interesting. Exactly. I want other people to also feel the same way as me and give me that confirmation, right? So it is crazy. When I enter a position, the first thing I fucking do is I go to Twitter, I type in dollar sign, whatever position, go to latest and say, who's saying what about this? You know, get mm-hmm. through all the bots. And if I'm feeling really frisky, I might go like only people I follow. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, all right, do any of the guys I follow, are they talking about this stock? Mm-hmm. And if they are, oh, good. Okay. I feel better about it. Then you're like, yeah, why. this is going to be a good trade. Right. And, and that's something that happens all the time to us is like, we always tell people, this is literally research. Like you have no idea what we're all in at any time, you know, unless we say something that we are in, but right. it's just like, you know, you have to take it as such because I, I did a study, honestly, I did a thesis paper in college, like, and this was from my teacher who was the like head of the cognitive psych department at my school. And she was so smart. Her name is uh, Ruth Day. She's such a great teacher. Uh, she taught me so much about cognitive psychology that I try to apply it to Bitcoin. And so when I did that, I was thinking, well, Bitcoin is, uh, I, I guess, the most psychologically impacted asset, right? Because theoretically, right, there is no valuation for it. You can right. assume like, Yes, like let's look at the usage. Let's use. Let's look at the you know the like how the, the amount of coins in circulation and the hash rate and everything. But the truth is, like that is just a decision from everyone from the masses of whether to buy and sell. And what I found is interesting is I went on a hundred charts on TradingView over like a, a two week period of time. And I went over a hundred of the charts for Bitcoin, and I found that predictive markings, like if I draw an arrow or if you draw. Um, like you know any type of pattern that kind of tells the person where you think it's going to go mm-hmm. then there is a much higher likelihood of that person being bullish on it. in fact that was the number one indicator i found and the second one that i found was a, a triangle wedge because like the, the standard consolidation wedge 
because people assume, and I like dug into this, that because it's been holding here for a long time, you've got the relative performance bias there of like, you know, it's going to be sitting there. Uh, it's in this range and you don't think it's going to break down because people are talking about it and it looks good. And then it breaks out of this triangle and you're like visually understanding that the stock is moving higher. And then of course, if there's a predictive marking there too, it just amplifies it. So just thinking yeah. obviously Bitcoin's the least impacted by earnings and whatever else. It's just a psychology coin, honestly. Uh-huh. Right. Absolutely. It's it's value is whatever people want it to be. And then you have influential people like, look, you have Musk and whoever the fuck else saying, oh, yep, like we accept Bitcoin and it's going to pop. Right. But there's Mm -hmm. no reason in that moment, like the value of Bitcoin didn't change, like what it offers, what it brings to the table. He literally I mean, it's more accepted in that case. Like, oh, it's a major corporation that is accepting this. It adds validity to it. But even that, the idea that it's now more valid is Mm -hmm. exactly what you're saying, where it's what people make it to be. At some point, people used seashells as currency, you know, Holland tulips. It's what people make it to be. You can Mm -hmm. make fucking anything. NFTs and all that shit. Yeah, NFTs are a great example. Yeah, it's, it's wild. I want to talk a little bit about the sunk cost fallacy. Like I bought CrowdStrike at $60 roughly, sold it for about, about $180. And now I have trouble, even though I love it. It's a, it's in a, the sector that I think is going to be here for the next 10 plus years. It's the leader of that sector in my mind, right? And so like, why would I not get involved with that? It's just so hard for me to want to pay in the mid 200s now for a stock yeah. that I bought at 60. So mm-hmm. I'd love to hear from a, a from an expert, I guess, in psychology of like what goes through my head that I'm not understanding. What I would say is what's going through your head is you had it at like, how do I phrase it? Uh, almost like opportunities lost. You You knew about it, you had it, and you were successful and now like you had it at 60, 200 doesn't seem good anymore. Mm-hmm. You had something that was mm-hmm. like a, a great price comparatively now, right? At the time, maybe it didn't seem like it. It seemed like, oh, this is, this is good. Like I'll enter, I'll enter here. Hindsight now, capital. Like, right. <laughs> Hindsight like, I, capital. Had, I had this at 60. How am I supposed to buy it at two something? And it's a mental block because you value your position at it at $60. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right That's angering. Now, right. You can't. Like, it's it's still the same stuff. It's the same stock symbol and all that. But the company's evolved. It's developed. So what you knew back then or what you believed was going to happen came to fruition. My favorite stocks that I own is XXII, 22nd century company, tobacco company, uh, for a while, it was trading under a dollar. I think the low was like 50, 56 cents or some shit like that. Mm-hmm. I was, not to use the phrase, pounding the fucking table on it to all <laughs> my friends and all of that stuff. Like, this is going to be fucking huge. I bought a bunch of leaps, like $1 leaps. I mean, the stock trades, uh, I think like four something right now. I'm mm. I'm in. I have, yeah. a shit, I have a huge position in it. But I believe it's still a baby. I will not buy more, even though I think it can easily double, triple, quadruple mm-hmm. from here. I won't. My average is phenomenal. And I refuse to bring that average up. And for me, I think it's very similar that 
opportunity. Like I can't buy the same amount of shares I could right. have back when. So right, it, you think you'll find another XXII somewhere right. else that'll give you that. And it's not because you don't want to average up because like you, you were saying this earlier, I too, believe like the idea. It, right. Yeah. Averaging up is like essentially like proven to be the right thing to do. And, and I agree. And it's hard for me as well, because what you were saying about losses is so, for instance, if I'm down on a stock, but I think if I'm down and if there's a reason why I'm down, like the news is bad or something like has changed in my thesis, I will get out. That's another story. But right. if the stock is down for whatever reason, it, for no reason, honestly, for for good news happening and the stock is down, like CMLF is an example, I continue to add to it until it shows me what I know to be true in in my own perspective, right? So that's when you zig when they zag going against the grain, but that's some of the best investments as well is actually adding to things that you you, you are like losing on quote unquote. And I think the big reason is when you're, when it's losing, when you're down on a position and you add to it, the mentality most people have is the percentage I'm going to be up now is going to be so much fucking better. Mm-hmm. I get to my so cost faster more. too. Yeah. I'll get to my basis way quicker right. because I divide. Like if you have 500 shares, you buy 500 more. It's right. cut in half, so you only have to get 50 percent off. Right for me, look, uh, my cost average for XXII is a dollar. Great. If I bought shares now, if it goes down, I'm mm-hmm. I'm red on that posi- on that ad, not right. overall on the position, but I know like I just lost money right now. Chances are I'm not. It's not going to go red. My position. I might lose a lot, but it's probably not going to go under a dollar um, anytime soon. Knock on wood. Um, now right. it will. So the craziest thing is if you look like 2015, the Nasdaq broke under when it was consolidating for that long time. People thought tech was going to dive and yeah. go back to like 2008 lows, and it kicked under that like whatever it was the head and shoulder pattern. It, the obvious stop, and then it bounced back, and now obviously look where we are in the Nasdaq since 2015. That is absurd to me that it, it happens more times than I care to think about. Another one of these biases, I think that like, I knew software was going to do well with inflation, but I also just like, I am not passionate about software. And if I'm in those things and the multiple is so high, and if they come down for whatever reason, I'm going to feel stupid. Like I know that earnings trail stocks price over time, right? So like, I'll continue to add to things that I know that will be at a good valuation and crush it. Because I think that so much of what gets priced in is because of what has to get priced in somewhere at the time, right? Like inflation was the fear. So the money goes to software, but the money went to software, right? Like Shopify, people are like all screaming about it. Now, Shopify was a great ad when everyone was like this piece of shit out of thousand and it's not moving. That's when you like net at 60 or like, you know, when you zag, baby, (laughs) right? People hated net. I was literally talking about this on Twitter. I was like January 55, 2022 leaps look cool. And they were like six bucks and like they're 60 bucks. And it's because it didn't move for three months. So they thought the relative performance was going to be shit for the next three months. My biggest fail was I was loving Roku when it like early on, I think Mm -hmm. I had at like 40 bucks maybe 44, whatever, right? And everyone was shitting on it. Mm-hmm. Every single person mm-hmm. I saw on Twitter that I followed was like, oh, it's stupid. Apple TV's better. It's not going to replace it. This, that. I remember where, that, yeah. Where, Except for Leon. <laughs> Leon was all, he's been found on the table on Roku since birth, and I think. I, I, I mean, I sold it at like, I mean, I doubled my money, I think. But if it would be a 10-bagger now, um, 
That, that's hilarious because I bought it probably where you sold it, like in the eighties. You're welcome. And, You're welcome and, for my right, share. right. I bought it in the eighties, but then, but then I sold it to someone in the one fifties. So someone right. else got my shares. Right. And so, it just it, it's zero. Like it ends up going yep. that way over time. Yeah. It's almost kind of like um, fuck. Uh, I'm a psychologist, not a physicist. The uh, energy, like energy, doesn't go anywhere. Money yeah. doesn't leak. Like there's laws of thermodynamics. Right. Yeah, it's just transferring to someone yep. else. When you sell, so true. someone's buying it, right? Never created nor destroyed, just transferred. Yep. Yep. Um, so, and because how rare is it people actually pull money out of the market? Probably like not all things considered. M- money comes into the markets. Right. That's the thing. Like money, especially now when cash is like probably the worst thing you can have. Money goes into the markets. Yeah. And like more and more every day, like you were saying this earlier, like the stimulus checks, like I like unemployment checks, everything that's just letting these YOLO things happen. That's yeah. actually like, you know, hurting the structure of the markets. But it's because, you know, it, it's the obvious. It's the good yeah. guy becomes the bad guy. There it is. <laughs> uh, well, like, there it is. Yeah. It's, it's true. Yeah. You say hurting the structure of the market. I would say just changing the structure of the market. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's it's been how it, how it was for how many ever decades and we're in unprecedented times for so many reasons, not Mm -hmm. just the stimulus checks, the unemployment, but like technology, right? Right. It's a relatively new speed of news, right? Like the the way they bounce back, right. That they always come back now. It's because people, like you're saying, the retail traders will believe those, those companies will come back. And, and I, I, I agree with what you're saying. It is changing. And, but what I was, I think what I meant by saying it's hurting is that, it can hurt the current system just because it's figuring it out, right? Like you introduce new stimulus to an environment, things will need to have some time to settle out. And I think that yeah. that's what you're seeing with like the 500% increase in, in retail traders. I've seen algorithms that are now coded and I, I watch charts, right? Like people can say like whatever they want about charts. Like I've done my, ma- my own studies in math, but I know that those algorithms are coded to like more rudimentary things than ever before. And I think that's because they're trying to like trade with the the more participants yeah. who are novices in the market, right? So they used to be so much harder, but now I see the obvious stops all the time. It goes mm-hmm. right under the VWAP. It'll go right over, then hold and fake out. It's like, I think back like three or four years ago, like if I was kind of a newbie trader, what would I think here? And that's usually what happens. You know, like I'll be able to discern like, okay, what I thought would work back then is actually the opposite. So now right. that I know more and yeah. it's, it's insane. Like those machines are, psychologically driven just as much we, as we are we talk about those psychological barriers too like i think we talked about that like on episode two maybe about like the the magnet to a hundred dollars right if something's at 99 dollars, people inherently want to push it you That's know they want too. to get it to a hundred dollars you hear right? about the psychological right the psychological barrier if it's mm. above a hundred it's going like easy once it breaks that you're good mm-hmm. and like there's there's a piece of that sure like people like round numbers they like the way something sounds um do you have any positions in your portfolio that are not in a five or a zero multiple i think in terms of quantity that that's you look at mine it's literally zeros fives yeah exactly zeros right that's 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 uh and i will like i can afford there have been times like oh no i could add like three more shares but you won't i won't i'll use that for like um, That's crazy. Only comments. I today. only care about that with comments. Um, if 
it's an option. Me too, actually. Literally, me too. I do. Right. If it's I, options, I only... I'll use, I'll go hey, seven, why? five. I don't it's, give a it's, shit. It's because you don't care about the options. That's, it has to right. be why. You don't even care enough to put the right number in because you'll buy one or two lottos, mm-hmm. but you'll buy 25 shares. We always pretend like we're on the board or we're the CEO of the company and we have this vision. But to Tony's point, like as soon as it deviates from the vision that you create in your head of like where it should go, that's yeah, when you kind of check yourself and you're like, fuck, all right, they're not doing what I wanted them to do. It's dead to me. Take it out back. Kill it. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. Old yeller. Yeah, but exactly. It's hard to do that. It's so hard to do that. And we were talking about that with Shopify too. It's like I bought shop at 186. I sold it at 1050. I'm hearing everyone like, wow, shop's such a great company. And I'm like, where were you when I was buying it at 186? And right. like I had sold it already. And since it's gone from like 1100 to 1500 or whatever it's at now, that's which is like 30%. I've done a lot more CAGR overall. So I'm not upset that I did that, but it's still in my head. I I knew I made the better move. I made more money than I would have otherwise. I'm still like, damn, I should have held Shopify. It's risk tolerance, right? If someone's less risk averse, this, you know, your Shopify was a proven model. Mm -hmm. You were winning. If you left it there, it would have been an even bigger winner. I knew it would keep going. I was sure it would go up still. You have a bigger risk tolerance. So you said, I'll pull the money out and I'll go take my chance somewhere else, believing in yourself and your mm-hmm. abilities, your skill, that you will be able to have a better return if that money were used more actively. Um, and yeah, that's exactly what opportunity cost is. It perfect right. So, so much of trading is the be- honestly, like the belief we have in ourselves, talk about trading on tilt. You're angry, you're sad, oh, yeah. and you don't believe. Like you're trying to prove to yourself through whatever percentage win, through whatever dollar amount you're gaining. Mm-hmm. Uh, when really, like you should be taking that step back and collecting yourself and getting back to neutral. You shouldn't be trading when you're euphoric. You shouldn't be trading yeah. when you're dysphoric. You want to be so even keel, it's boring. Like trading at its core, really, I guess investing should be boring for you. Trading has excitement. And trading for most people, not everyone, but most people, should the excitement should be short-lived. It should be the lottos. It should be treated as Mm -hmm. entertainment. Everyone wants a slingshot. As you're saying this, I, my mind I slingshot goes, all the time, Avi. Goes back to my bloody Sunday. For anyone that's gambles on sports, your bookie's calling you on Monday. There's a lot of psychology behind sales, right? So like when something goes on sale, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, like it used to be a hundred bucks, but now it's sixty. I'm saving forty dollars. No, you're spending sixty. Right. You're yeah. spending sixty dollars. So in your example. Like, oh, I can like take this 200 I have left over instead of paying him, you know, I owe him a thousand. Well, you have that 200, you, you owe him, you need 800 bucks now because you have the 200. Instead of like doubling down, doing your parlay, whatever. And now you're going to owe him 1200. Yeah. I'm making a parallel too to trading because I think it's the same way. You you lose a lot, then you're like, fuck it. I'm going lottos. I need to get a tent bagger right now. And yep. that's the and easiest way to strike out. If you're swinging for the fences, closing your eyes, swinging as hard as you can, you want that home run. Right. Likely, you know, the chances you're going to get it are way less. The chances you're going to strike out are, are way higher, right? And that's right. going to happen in trading. You're going to see a lot of red on your screen. It's and not fun. I think, <laughs> I think a lot of people experience that where, 
like with the lottos, why, and we can just touch on it real quick, but why lottos are so popular, weeklies, why subs, all these services, because people will experience that first taste of like a 10 bagger or holy oh, shit, yeah. I made 500 me. in, right, in like a day. Wow. And then they keep swinging like, well, it happened once, it can happen again. And they lose and they lose and they lose. And then right oh, before they're about man. to give up, it's like the market's like, nope. Come back here. Come back mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then boom, you hit a home run. It's like, yes, I knew I had it in me. No, you got lucky. Like that was a, it, it was a one-off. It was an anomaly. Mm-hmm. Um, I had one of those happen to me. And I think we've talked, we talked about this in our last uh, call. When I was like 16, 17, I took like 1100 bucks to hundred K on Amazon. And I was like, I'm going to be the best damn investor in the world. Right. But I mean, had I just kept on trading the way I did back then, no chance. Zero. I had to put in thousands right. and thousands and thousands of hours because I tried to think like, oh, okay, like I took a thousand to a hundred thousand. I got a hundred bagger mm-hmm. and I was like, I can do it again. I have never gotten close to a hundred bagger ever since then. Ever. And I'm convinced I never will. It's the magic I, of the I first trade. I, I swear to God, we were talking about this last and I, I think I figured out as to why that happens, right? Like everyone you talk to that's trading, you ask them, I bet you 80% of the chance time, they're like, yeah, I fucking killed it my first trade. Like my first two weeks ever trading, I took 5K to 30K. I'm like, I'm the fucking man. I'm walking into work. Right. I'm like, this will be my last day here, guys. Like, I don't need you anymore. You know, like, <laughs> I, I was really, I was joking, obviously. But like, at the same time, I was like, damn, this is so easy, yeah. so easy. Two weeks later, that goes to zero and it kind of slaps you in the face. But I think, I think the reason why everyone kind of wins their first trade it's not the, the truth, right? Half the people probably lose their first trade. Those guys are no longer trading though. This was extremely thought-provoking. I'd love to you know, have further conversations with you throughout the year because this is, this is amazing. And I actually probably need a psychologist. So I may be hitting you up if you, if you do have a, a website or something that I could go to. Anything that you'd want to share, you know, tips or tricks to kind of get your mind back to this homeostasis. And, and thanks, Tony, for giving me the word that I was looking for forever. Got you. Um, but, you know, in, in terms of like, what can traders think about when their mind goes crazy, their girlfriend, yep. you know, breaks up with them. Like, how do you maintain this concept of you are where you are best? So if people are trading as a part-time gig, even like full-time, there's a mentality that you have to, you have to trade every day because you're mm-hmm. going to miss a play. <laughs> but if this is your full-time job, you know, if you were at any other job, you get PTO, you have time, you have days off, you have sick days, you have personal days, whatever you have a uh, grievance leave, mm-hmm. um, use those, Tr- treat it the same mentality. If you're not feeling well, like you were saying that you had COVID mm-hmm. great, like take some fucking time off. You shouldn't be trading under those circumstances. Yeah. If you're emotionally tapped, take the fucking day off. Right. Take My parents got day. COVID and I, and I could not even really trade at all. I just like kind of right. sat still for a couple yeah. of weeks. Cause I knew that I would screw up. I did. Right. And you know, you're just going to, if you, if you're feeling too euphoric, too dysphoric, we said it a couple of times, you know, everyone needs, should be creating their own scale, right? If you think of the happiest you've ever been and think of the saddest you've ever been, happy is a 10, sad is a one. You shouldn't really trade if you're like at a seven or higher, probably, mm-hmm. right? Or you should slow down. If you're at a four or lower, you shouldn't really be trading either, four. right? Yeah. So you want to be in that sweet middle range. And it's okay if like one play crushes it, you get there, just walk away from the computer, exit a position, whatever. Mm-hmm. Walk around you the block. come back. 
I'm not saying mm. you have to stop for the day, but go take a lap, go mm. control your breathing, calm down, enjoy the win. And then if you're good, when you get back from that eight and you get back to that five or six, go back to trading. That's fine. If you've lost a play, take some time, do something, some self-care, get something that's going to make you happy. And then when you're back above the four, get back to trading, whether that's the same day or in two days, it doesn't matter. I think I'm going to use that scale myself, honestly. That's fantastic. Like we were saying, when I felt euphoric today, I was like, I'm probably an eight or a nine. I got to sell stuff just... And for me, like selling upside risk or downside risk is the same as like getting to that homeostasis, right? Sure. Like you take off your positions, you are able to walk away and be calm. And and, I, and it's so true. Like I don't know if I've taken it. I haven't taken a day off since I started like in 2019. And that's, I mean, like that leads to burnout. So that leads to you being mm-hmm. exhausted all the time and you make right. mistakes because of that. So you do need to yeah. take care of yourself, especially as a trader. I think investors have like different things to the biases still hit you, but it's not as often. So it doesn't hit you mm-hmm. as hard. And, and I've um, shifted. Yeah. Everyone's obviously very different, right? Like my, my personal mindset has shifted to make me become like a, a beach trader, you know, if you will, where, where I am in stocks that I feel safe with that I'm going to be okay with, you know, if it goes down a little bit, I have firm yeah. conviction in these stocks. Of course, I do have a little like tilt. I do these little option things for fun. But if I'm going to be on vacation, I'll probably try to get out of those positions. I never want to be someone that like is stuck to my you know chair. I can't go to the bathroom. I can't right. get lunch. You know, like that's just me personally. But like everyone, right. everyone's very different, of course. Nobody know? wants to, Avi. Like, right. you know, I was looking I, at I, you I, as I was saying. <laughs> what yeah, a lot of people I don't, don't realize is like everyone should go look at the criteria, like the diagnostic criteria for addiction. Yeah. You'll you'll see my face. (laughs) Right. Most traders meet that criteria for addiction. Um, And it's honestly, it's not hard to meet it. So no one's going to say like, oh yeah, I want to be an addict. Fuck yeah. Um, So if you're at that point, maybe it's time to just like scale back a little bit. Exactly Uh, what I'm doing because I realized I'm a complete stock market addict. I mean, like I love the stocks too much to where my passion and my conviction can be a double-edged sword. So you realize that like you can dig too deep and think it's so right. Like I waited seven years for Tesla to run. I didn't have to if I just waited for it to break out and I knew already what I knew. So it's very, very true what you're saying. It's like get back to that four or five in the right amount of time and don't let yourself like deviate too far from that homeostasis. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Adam. Is there a website we can go to to, to learn more a little bit? Yeah, uh, I'll be honest. I mean, my website, it's, Ally Psych, A L L Y P S Y C H dot com. You're not going to find a whole lot of trading information there, but email me. Uh, you can use the contact form or it's just Adam at allypsych.com. I love to talk with people about this stuff. Uh, reach out if you have questions, if you need some help with something. Uh, I'd love to chat with you all. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Adam. I feel like we'll be uh, speaking together again here later Uh, in the year. Have me back anytime. This was fucking amazing. Awesome. All right. Thanks, man. Thank you.